Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of One Mike Night Podcast. I'm Marcos Luis, your host, and I want to thank you guys all again for joining me on this beautiful, beautiful journey of talking to some incredible, incredible people here in the United States and around the world. Make sure you stop what you're doing right now and follow us. Follow us at One Mike Night on every social media. One Mike Night is spelled O-N-E-M-I-C-N-I-T-E. If you like the episodes, rate us, review us. Five is always nice, but we'll take whatever you give us. We appreciate it. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking to a man who is a singer. He's a writer. He's a director. He's a composer. He's an entrepreneur. <laughs> he's everything. He's all that. He that goes by the guy. <laughs> Frank Dunham Jr., Please welcome him to One Mic Night. How you doing, Frank? Thank you so much for having me, Mark. Welcome, welcome. It's a pleasure, man. It's a pleasure. So happy to have you here. You have no idea. Uh, okay. Listen, I have questions. Yes. First question is, who is Frank Dunham Jr.? Uh, Frank Dunham Jr. is an African-American show guy. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. How did he get started in show business? Where did it all come from? Oh, well, uh, when I was a kid, I liked uh, musicals. My mother uh, took me to a lot of shows. I had my um, first backyard play uh, in sixth grade. Um, I've always been a fan of live theater and the movies, um, but theater definitely intrigued me the most. And um, I started auditioning. You know, I wanted to be an actor. I, I could sing a little bit and uh, auditions were nice and uh, it was really cool. But I believe that um, writing was definitely my calling uh, to write and produce and direct and compose was definitely my place to be. Hmm. So did you know that early on or was that something that you sort of progressed into and found out? You found I definitely had to progress hmm. into it, you know, um, Cause I wasn't sure, you know, it's like a, and you know, I was a, I, I was a, a fish in a pond, you know, there was a whole bunch of us that could sing, but when it came to the uh, real audition stages, it's like, Oh, I can sing, but I can't sing like that. Right. And uh, <laughs> <so> <laughs> I, I kind of bounced out of, you know, that league, you know, I'll, I'll do weddings and, you know, I'll do birthday parties and, you know, small events and holiday gatherings and stuff. But uh, I'm not trying to like, you know, stand on stage and win awards for that. Thank you. I'm the best singer ever in the world. Um, and the acting, the acting was 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 fulfilling, but uh, it just didn't seem to be enough. Mm -hmm. And um, I just kind of left the show business alone. You know, I left it alone for a, a good few years and started working corporate. And I was enticed by the poetry scene. 
the poetry mm. scene uh, drew me in. And uh, I read at a few places um, at Brooklyn, uh, Brooklyn Moon Cafe, mm -hmm. uh, Frank's uh, in Harlem, the National Black Theater of Harlem, right. uh, East Village, and the Eureka Poets Cafe. Those are some those are some pretty well-known places. I want to back. I want to take it back just a minute, though. Where yeah. so where were you born? You're born in you're a New Yorker. Uh, yeah, I was born in Brooklyn and raised in Rosedale. OK, uh, that's just a few towns over from uh, Valley Stream, Long Island. It's Queens. Mm -hmm. And I'm a resident of Harlem. I love Harlem. I love the city, even though uh, I was raised in the suburbs. It, uh, it I'm a city boy. Right. But Harlem has a certain flavor. We all know that everybody around the world knows Harlem, you know, yeah. and the flavor of Harlem. So I'm sorry, I'm, I'm kind of going back and forth. But so living in Harlem now, what does that add to what you're doing? How, what kind of spice does that add to the work that you're creating? Because we know that I, you're a writer. Does any of your write, writing come from living in Harlem? Oh, definitely. The surroundings have, um, have a lot to do with it. Mm -hmm. uh, just like you have writers that uh, go on retreats and they're like, oh, I need serenity. I need peace. I want to hear the ocean. I want to, uh, I want to, I want to feel nature, mm. you know, um, I kind of like the noise that never stop the being, everything's very accessible. Um, the lights, the noise, the more distractions, the better. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just the history of Harlem itself has, has its own flavor. You know what I mean? Like cultivating culture, oh, uh, definitely. you know, so. black culture, African-American culture, the history of jazz, the history of, you know, music and, and things like that. And what, what are some of the works that you're working on? Because, okay. Well, I, 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 well, well you know, talking about Harlem, you know, I've, I've had the honor and the privilege of being a resident of Harlem. I got to really recognize Harlem uh, since the late eighties. Mm, I had okay. an aunt that had, you know, she, she resided here ever since they, um, her and her, my, my mother and her sisters, uh, they came here uh, back in the fifties. Uh, and she's been a, a resident of Harlem ever since. So just the visiting, I got to see the, you know, the the whole different stages of Harlem, the uh, the very uh, the the, uh, the churches, the um, being very communal, uh, a lot of friendliness, um, the whole uh, edginess of the of, of the number running, um, mm. then the decline of uh, of the crack cocaine. And then the rebuild with uh, gentrification. I I was happy enough to uh, to reside in um, Lennox Lounge on many occasions before it closed and shut down. The legendary Lennox Lounge. We all yeah, know that. legendary place. Um, I got to know uh, Mount Morris Park for it being Mount Morris Park. They did that huge uh, uh, Black Woodstock uh, mm -hmm. documentary. And that's the park. I could see it uh, right out of my apartment window. I got to see that get changed uh, or gentrified to, um, it's called Marcus Garvey Park now. A great name. Yeah. Uh, wonderful. Thank you so much. Um, but it was known as Mount Morris Park. And Mount right. Morris Park is what it will be to the real residents of Harlem. Right. Which it, there in itself indicates a big change of yeah. something. Something yeah. happened. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Definitely a change. So living in that definitely inspires me. It does. Um, the noise, the busyness, the um, the extremities, but the cultures and the ethnicities. I mean, because I live uh, in what's like a borderline of uh, Spanish Harlem, um, and there was like you know nothing of color. Um, but then the different the different uh, ethnicities within each culture, 
uh, people will say Latino, there's um, Mexican, there's Puerto Rican, there's Dominican. And uh, we're all kind of like living amongst each other with the African-Americans, the Caribbean-Americans, the Africans. It's uh, it's it's always been a really good melting part, a part, part of uh, people of color. Um, and then again, gentrification came. So just to uh, to see the difference, I think it's a very slow and gradual crawl. It kind of uh, reminds me the likes are are what you would probably feel in the East Village. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, it's not quite upper East Side. It's not Upper East Side, you know, you know, nudging the belt. Or uh, Upper West Side, uh, fancy schmancy. It's um, it's just enough. It's just right. enough for a good balance. I don't know how long the balance will stay, but because things are changing every day up here, but it is very, very inspiring to me. Growing up as a child, how did you how did you manage to navigate your way through that? Because I know you know being <clears throat> African American or you know a person of color, our parents didn't necessarily want us to pursue the arts. I mean, it may be a little different from people living here in New York, but growing up where I grew up, you know, yeah. that wasn't always the first choice. Your parents want you to be professional. I, I had dreams of being a doctor you oh. know, until I found my true calling, you know. Okay. So were your parents receptive to to that fact? I don't really think they had a choice um, because uh, I was, uh, I'm going to do what I want to do. Um, I'll, you know, take suggestions, um, <laughs> you know. You know, try out a few things, but yeah, I, I pretty much knew what I wanted to do, and this is what I wanted to do um, was work in entertainment. I just didn't know exactly which particular job, and uh, being able to sing, and you know, interested in plays and theater. You know, in high school, I was part of a lot of different theater groups. We produced a lot of shows. Um, Did you go to a performing arts high school or? No, no, no. no? I auditioned is- uh, for uh, music and art, um, but I didn't make the cut. They didn't. Um, they, they didn't like me. I actually auditioned for a lot of uh, theater groups. Um, I think my audition process was kind of off. But again, I don't think that's what I was really meant to do. To be an actor. To be an actor. Singer. Even though those are I had passions for those things, and I can't do those things. That that's not where it really was for me. And. Um, and I just left it alone in corporate, and then working in nightclubs uh, was uh, was a really was a was very good exposure. I'm very glad about that process. It was um, a lot of material, a lot of moments, a lot of recalls. I got to experience things I, I guess that the average, you know, probably wouldn't. <laughs> and you do you incorporate that in some of your writing too? Of course, it, yeah, of course, of course, you must, you must. Every everything I write is a piece of me. You know where okay. I've been. You know, you make up the story and then to make it real. I mean, what better resource but yourself? I love it. I love it. Now, I want to talk about some of your writings. So I know you worked with the uh, National Black Theater. Yes. Did you write National Black Theater of Harlem Mm -hmm. um, would uh, used to host a uh, writing series. And uh, I was one of the residencies there. There were a bunch of us writers that they hosted uh, seasonally, seasonably. And um, you would come and present a work in progress or reading, not full out production. And uh, I always used it as a as a jumpstart for something that I was going to produce later on that year. So oh. I do the reading at MBT and you know wait a few months, polish that up, fine tune that up, and produce it at another venue. You know, full on where it'd be my production. How important are places like that for 
people of color. I mean, you know, on their way to wherever they're going or even just as a learning tool. Um, it's very important mm -hmm. to be exposed. I was reading something the other day where they were mentioning all of these credible artists who had won all these awards and how many awards they won and how you uh, how they had to explain, uh, you know, they didn't win that on that first try. You know, you right. have to be exposed. You've got to be in it to win it. Um, I, I've made it a concerted effort to do a, um, a reading or at least a preview and then a production or two a year just to stay relevant just to stay in the game and to also expose yourself to all the other um, players that are out there doing the same game that you're in. Right. Resources like the National Black Theater of Harlem, uh, the Theater for the New City, um, they offer, they offered, you know, then there are so many more now, but uh, they definitely catapulted, you know, my whole like drive, like, oh, okay, I can do this. I can have a home. Having a home is the one thing that I believe that any writer director that has a whole crew or a tribe or a team, I like to call my guys a tribe right. um, of actors and actresses. Uh, residency is, is definitely the thing. That's my pursuit, residency. Got it. You feel like Broadway is a home for us? Not yet. Mm -hmm. Not yet. We, uh, we got to break a few more eggs. Right. Um, <laughs> there has to be a little bit more exchange of uh, differences, you know, yelled across the room. Right. Um, yeah, but it's it's coming. I, I do not see where there's not a place for it. Um, it's definitely coming. And it's just, it's just the more noise you make and the, little, the more gates that are open and the more um, opportunities, you know, that present itself. And, you know, that's kind of that's definitely on us. Um, we can make our own Broadway anywhere we are. Right. Anywhere we yeah. go, we can take an area, we can take a venue and we can turn it out. That's not it. It's just the legacy of being attached to something that exists. Um, it's time. It's time. But I definitely see it. I had the um, honor of doing, you know, working with uh, Broadway performers and actors and again, just experiencing, you know, uh, what do they call it? The Great White Way. The Great White Way. Yeah. Which you don't, yeah, it is. And, and you don't hear that that often anymore because I think people have sort of, people of color have sort of squashed it now. Yeah. We, we squashed it. Yeah, that. well, um, I, I think that uh, it's, uh, it's been misrepresented, you right. know, so many ways. Um, I first heard the opposition of it because I just thought, you know, the great white way, I, you know, I, I, I didn't take it as being anything racial. Right, I didn't either. Or racist at all. <clears throat> I just said, okay, well, the great white way. And, um, I thought it, of it as, as the lights, as the, you know, the glitter, yeah. the glam. Yeah. Which I'm well, sure that's, that's it, probably what it was, but then that's it sort exactly of. That's what I heard. That's yeah. what I heard. That yeah. it's, uh, it's the, the lights, you know, when you walk down that street, because they were particularly talking about a strip, you know, not necessarily Broadway, but there were a strip where there were a bunch of theaters. And the minute you got to the corner, you saw the marquees for the all marquees. of them. And that was a great white land. Right. And, uh, but then there are others that believe that, it is a very elite group that only allows uh, uh, anything other than right. uh, white. Yeah, and I think, you know, traditionally it has been that, you know, you know, maybe we haven't for the history. Okay, here we go. So like, for the history of this country in general, 
you know, yeah. allowing people of color in certain positions. That goes along with Broadway. You know, the shows are written a certain way and you have, you know, you 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 think about certain characters in certain ways. So you cast accordingly. And it's never been it's, it's just now getting to a point where it's being colorblind casted or this year for the first time. Broadway has nine black writers for all the new plays on Broadway, which is unprecedented. You know, so now the opportunity is sort of starting to come. So the well, casting is a little bit different now. So people are I, a little bit more aware of, you know, of the situation, allowing people of color into and, and reimagining, you know, the words that, that are being thrown around now, reimagining the way mm -hmm. something is. Oh, yeah, maybe we can use by you know uh interracial couple for this or maybe you know but you know and you look at it and the question then becomes are you seeing you know two people of two different uh cultures or are you just seeing actors act you know does it have significance if it's a black female lead and a white male lead is there something significant in the dynamics between the two or are you just supposed to look at it as just a couple well, I kind of look at all those tactics as just smoke and mirrors and just allowances. The, the place of a, of a Black story, uh, if you go back to the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, 80s, it's like, it's like we didn't have a place. And what possibly were we going to talk about? Yeah. I think that this time right now that the allowances, all of, all of the... Um, all of the restraints and all of the like you can't be here all of that behavior i think um i think the timing definitely has a lot to do with it i'm not saying that there weren't any black writers that uh stories could not have been transposed to theater or to musicals where it could definitely have been appreciated but it wouldn't have been appreciated mm. it wouldn't have been appreciated at all there it that that place our our place just wasn't there it wasn't right. there. And I think that the whole punch with the uh, Black Lives Matters, all of the all of the all of the uh, the uprisals of just being acknowledged as a race and as a people in our contribution. I believe that the stories are a lot more honest. Yes. The stories have a platform now. Right. Um, because we're actually seen as real people. And people are recognizing that we're going through the same thing just like anybody else does. But can we please write it from our perspective? Brilliantly said. I think you're absolutely right. Absolutely right on that. And I think you're, you're right. I think that, you know, in the 50s, in the 40s, you know, maybe we, we definitely hadn't experienced the things that was being shown on Broadway. You know, an elite Black person in a household with, you know, whatever situation but now that we're yeah it wouldn't have been told right never never because number one we haven't even we hadn't experienced it we weren't allowed to experience it back then i mean you had one or two people you had a, maybe a millionaire from you know madam cj walker you know some, something like that but the story is a little bit different it's not the same mm -hmm. so now that we're you know fast forward to 2021 and we have lived these lives and there are people who are middle upper upper middle class and high class and have money and have experienced these things people are now seeing things in a different way you have the people who are the moguls you have the people who you know are are financial status and things they have the status right and the experience doors have been opened and it's it's not like they they like they were they were always open i think that uh just we as a 
as a people, um, when it comes to the arts, when it comes to creativity, um, I love the idea of having my own thing, but that's just my own thing. Um, if it should be, you know, corralled all together, you know, as a race, I believe that it should definitely, there should definitely be a platform. I mean, just last night I watched the Latino Grammy Awards. There isn't a black or an African-American Latino awards. Um, there isn't a Dutch or an Asian uh, Grammy Awards. I, no, I, not I'm, Grammys, but we do have, you know, the Soul, the, the Soul Train Awards. You know, you have the uh, NAACP but again, Image Awards. Again, these iconic establishments, just like I said, it's not a Grammy. Right, it's not a Grammy. It definitely isn't a Grammy. Not a Grammy. Right. And so what do you propose for that? I mean, obviously I was watching it too, but <laughs> what do you propose for that? Do you, do you think that we need that? Um, Is no, our equivalent, I, our equivalent's not... You know, the equivalent for African-Americans aren't the NAACP Image Awards or the, you know, Soul Train Awards. Well, I think that we should go back to like what separates it to begin with. Isn't music just music? Isn't right. something inspiring just inspiring? I mean, why are we why are we giving these titles? Why are we giving why are we categorizing? Because you know, they were they were founded out of a need for these, you know, different cultures to be recognized because they weren't being recognized by the majority of people. The Grammys, you know, if you look at the nominations for the categories, yeah, you don't have, you know, we're not winning. We're not winning. So they were created in order to um, award people and, 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 you know, give them accolades for their work as well. Well, then I think that um, uh, you were absolutely right when you just asked me that question. Yes, I agree. I think every, every ethnicity, every culture would, should have their own prestigious Grammy celebration or award show okay well <laughs> you're yeah I, I think so too but i mean there would be nice if everybody was counted equally and there was one award for it but you know well isn't that isn't that kind of like how it how it was tried i mean that's how yeah um i remember that year at the tony awards uh where you know the tony awards were just like any other tony awards and i think it was the year that uh, Fela was on Broadway. Mm -hmm. I just know there were more people of color. Jada Pinkett was there. Will was there. We were all on the red carpet. And I just remember just cracking up at the footage of the cameras that would go across the audience. <laughs> <laughs> everyone, everyone not of color just looked very confused right. at what was going on. Right. You know, nobody looked threatened. Nope. Nobody yeah. looked like, you know, like we're not having a good time, but they just looked very confused at what was happening. Right. Um, we need more of those moments. We do. We, we need to get a bigger do. space, get a we bigger space, you know, break the award, show up in two days, technical one day, talent another day, you know, do it like you do the conferences, you know? Right. Well, I think a lot of it too has to be by the way that people are being judged. You know, we view our stories and we view stories a certain way, Latinos, mm -hmm. you know, Asian Americans, you know, uh, what, what is the mainstream? Everybody is viewing things in the mainstream type of way. So that's how it's being judged. But it doesn't, you know, uh, make our stories any less important or the sure. acting any less or the music any less. I mean, that's, I think that's the real issue. Who's judging these two? Who's on the panel of judges? Who's on the board of directors? Who's nominating? Yeah. You know, yeah, well, everyone has to get involved. Right. Everyone has to everyone has to get involved and everyone has to get a seat at the table. I mean, that's that's kind of like why I've always wanted a seat at the table. You know, I want to I want to know I want to be there. Right. I want to be in the room. Absolutely. 
And I think that, uh, just, yeah, everyone, everyone deserves that. Everyone deserves it. Represent, um, yeah. The hoops and the, uh, the things I had to jump through to, uh, you know, put up an off-Broadway production for a uh, festival were quite challenging. But I, am, I, I, I embrace every moment, every challenging moment. It was definitely a learning lesson. And I learned uh, that as I continue, you know, further, uh, I know exactly what to do. I like that. I'm like very that. confident. Yeah. I'm very confident in being able to handle it. Let's talk and, about that. Let's talk about that for a moment. I, we don't necessarily have to talk about that in particular, but I want to talk about that particular play. What was the name of the play? Uh, Cherry House. Cherry House, which Cherry I House. had the honor of seeing. Uh, unfortunately, yeah. I couldn't make it there in person, but virtually, which was a, an amazing thing too. Yes. yes. Where, did, so, where, did this, where did this whole idea come from? Explain to uh, the people who are listening and watching what, what Cherry House is. Well, Cherry House uh, is a uh, dramedy. Um, uh, about a brothel. The, uh, the log line is in 1858, the carefully calculated life of an African-American madam is thrown into chaos when she's forced to protect a wanted woman from the law. Mm-hmm. Now, just pitching that alone, people were, okay, so, oh, it's about, it's about slavery and the Civil War. And I'm like, no, it's, a, it's in a brothel. Oh, so it's about prostitutes and whores. I'm like, no, it's about women. And it's about how women support each other, uh, the loyalty that uh, people have amongst one another, and the lengths that they will go through to just protect and to stand their ground. And uh, it shows a very, it's a, it's a very sensitive time period, but anything, you know, before yesterday is <laughs> it's right, yeah. very sensitive <laughs> to talk about, yeah. you know. It's very interesting that you said it was 1858 and we know, you know, just from history of, of the America, what mm-hmm. time of what, what the period timeline is there, you know, yeah. uh, pre-slavery freedom, I guess mm-hmm. is what it, what it is. Yeah, um, it, was so war. it takes place in New York City. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, man, I didn't mean to cut you No, off. no, go. No, that's exactly um, what I wanted. It takes place in, uh, in New York City, right. uh, which were, you know, a few of the, uh, the uh, free states, so to speak. But uh, the racism and the and the and everything was there because just as well as there were many uh, people of color that were free, uh, the bounty hunters uh, had their liberties to just, you know, roll up and snatch whoever they wanted to, you know, whether you had papers or not. And... Um, these women, you know, seized uh, an opportunity to really capture their best strengths. Now, everyone said, what's the strength in being a whore? She owned her own business. It was her establishment. She, she controlled and she dictated who came and who, who, who was able to enter and who was able to be there. And she was supported by white money and she used it to her advantage. And you can call it what it, what it is, but I call her a very good businesswoman. Right, yeah. And, you know, the staff is staff, you know, regardless of what it is we're doing. And I'm not saying every, you know, every job, you know, is the most acceptable thing, but uh, these are people and they're living the best way they know how. And it's all about survival, but the survival just wasn't really it. It was the loyalty of, uh, of people towards one another and the lengths that we go to to protect and to even show appreciation how does that play in uh, modern day life? Is it the same? Is it? You know, it's funny that you it? say that because um, 
I'm doing a transition uh, with a piece uh, that I wrote a few years ago, and it's a period piece. I love using um, a dated uh, time periods. Um, it's a very vulnerable time. Uh, you can get away with a whole lot. Um, it's all carte blanche. There's so many dysfunctions to pick to choose from that you know could just be analyzed and just displayed. It isn't you know relatable to our day and time right now. But the question that you asked, there's a play that I wrote with uh, the uh, time period was Atlanta, 1961. And um, it's not that I'm, you know, straying away from the period pieces, but I just thought about it. I'm like, if I modernized it, you know, how different would it be? And it's not very challenging. <laughs> wow. It's not, it's not very challenging at all. Right. It's not. There are a lot of uh, circumstances. And, you know, I love the idea of sexuality and racism and division and, and a little bit of drama and definitely some comedy because life is funny. No matter what happened, if we could recall it a while, yeah, but that shit was funny. I'm yeah. sorry. No, <laughs> no, that's right. No, it's, it's true. You know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, the um, the humor is still the same. The uh, the divide is still the same. The opinions are still, still the same. There wasn't much I had to change at all. Hmm. How much progress have or we made? Changing. Yeah, that you're changing. How much progress do you think we've made, you know, since in the last couple of years during the pandemic? Um, you know, we it sparked a change. And how far along have we gotten? Has it fizzled out? Are you the reason why, you know, we need to keep keep it going? Like are artists the reason why? Well, awareness we is going or awareness mm -hmm. is is definitely, you know, a tool. Um, but uh we have to have uh, the allowance and we have to have the access. Um, there were so many things that were going on trying to get this live production going. Right. How do we get the access? Them. That's another good question. How do we get yeah, the access? You know, the access. How the hell do we people, get the access? Well, people are scared to death. I mean, the whole thing about live theater, you know, the movies is one thing because, you know, we've got the television, we've got our devices, you know, but live theater, whether it be cabaret, burlesque, the circus, magic show, any of that interactive thing, you know, that is always, you know, very, very inspiring and intriguing in itself. And it is an experience. Mm -hmm. I believe more so than, you know, just to watch a film as inspiring as film can be. Please, I don't want to buy math. Right. Yep. But there's something a little bit more that adds to the live theater, the live presence. And um, uh, we were very troubled. Uh, we got postponed uh, twice. Uh, because of all the mandates and the laws and just, okay, like we know, they know what they were doing. Um, we didn't, you know, we didn't know if it was going to happen. And then when the really hard restrictions, you know, came on board, um, before we were even allowed to be in person, I was scared to death at the idea of virtual theater. And when I was seeing the examples about, yeah, yeah, we're back, we're back virtually, we're doing this. And I looked at it and I'm like, this is just as flat as I don't know what. Great pieces of work. They brought out names and I appreciate it. I jumped on a bandwagon too. I did a whole a series of uh, virtual theater, mm -hmm. but there's nothing like live. Right. And I just, I would like that to be just preserved as long as it possibly could be. I would hate to, another shutdown or just even more restrictions. Um, and the cost is just, you know, it's just making it even harder to just, uh, you know, do a gig on your own. It's hard being a producer and a writer director on your own. You know, the fundraising, the gathering of the people, the the just relying on everyone to keep it together it's it's a you got to run a really tight ship um working on a uh 
on a larger level and a larger scale, everything is delegated. So, so much there's like full staff. You've got five people co-directing, six people managing, seven people producing, 10 people on wardrobe and a cast of six or eight or 13, like I had for that show, Cherry House. Um, I'm all over the place. No, 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 this is good. No, this is good. This is what we need to hear. People need to hear this, you know, what it takes to, to make a production, to make it make it come to life. And you're absolutely right. You know, we, we want to preserve live theater. However, we were in two years of a shutdown where it was a global pandemic. So how do we keep the art alive? How do we just, you know, continue to, you know, give our message the best we can? Theater is supposed to be live. It's supposed to be interactive. You know, they're supposed, you're supposed to be able to laugh and get feedback and give to the audience. There's, there's an energy that's exchanged when you're doing live theater versus yes. watching film and TV. You're absolutely right. Definitely. It was challenging. It was challenging. I myself went through two years of a rehearsal for a show that was set back as well. Yes, you know? yes, and you did. And right, did. which is now coming up and I'm excited about. Mm-hmm. But it's tough. There's a lot that goes into it. You're absolutely right. Absolutely yeah. right. Um, I wouldn't give it up for uh, for anything. It's the best. Um, I love the idea of film, and I I've done a you know I've kind of dibbled and dabbled. Other than just the virtual series, you know, I I did uh, try to you know you know get involved. Uh, I'm not a control freak, mm-hmm. but I really like to know what's going on, and uh, I need to educate myself some more on what film is and the mechanics of the DP and, and you know the protocol of what right. everyone does. And once I have the time to educate myself, I think I'll, you know, dive right into it. But right now, like, a, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, there's, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of hands, you know, in the pot, you know, right. and I'm just kind of like a one kitchen cook. Right. So right. Uh, <laughs> do, you, do you feel like this time forced you to do a lot more to become that producer, to become that, you know, like no, actually it was, easier. it was so much easier. It was just a, you know, a, a, a manner of trust. Um, I had to uh, I had to bring in a creative director. I had to bring in a co-director. I always worked with a music director, but I had to bring in you know new musicians, a one-man band. That was a whole thing, you know. Um, the uh, the makeup, the costumes, the costume team, the prop team. There were like teams, and you know, uh, I guess you know just assigning properly. It's like there was a lot of trust that I had to let go, you know. Because you don't want to be the type of uh, producer or director that's got your chin on somebody's shoulder. What are you doing? Where are you going? Right, yeah, yeah. You, know, you want to mm-hmm. give people their freedom and their space to actually come and show you, look what right. I did. Because and they're artists too. They're trying to create yes, something yes, as well. There's yeah. a lot of trust. Yeah. Yeah. And I let go. I let go of the reins. And I'm like, I know I wrote it. I know that I'm directing it. This is the vision. And all of these other things mechanically have to work around it so that it could be what it is. And I was quite proud. The cast was quite proud. The uh, venue and the producers of the festival were very proud. I have I'm to say, every night. I, I have to say, it was a phenomenal show. Probably one of the best I've seen. Thank who were some of the people? That, who were some of the people that you worked with? You want to give a shout out to some of the actors? Oh in there yes, because they're all phenomenal. Oh, you see, there's the whole cast. My co-director, uh, Sala Hewitt. Sala, we love you. Uh, my creative director, uh, Uncle Earl Lacey Darrell Phillips. Uh, our musician, Luigi Scorcia, Luigi Babe, um, composer, Darrell Nickens, 
and an incredible cast, Jennifer Mary Mears, Jennifer, Jillian uh, Lindsay, Wintley Holland, Patrick Duggan, Casey Bartolucci, Brennan Lowry, Brennan Foster, Isaac, Tiffany, Sharice, Charlton. <laughs> <laughs> All amazing, amazing people, amazing. So I, so I gotta be honest with you too. I got a little bit of actor's envy because I wanted to be in the show, but there was no part for me. So along with some other technical things that we yes. know, but well, you know, things are so coming up in the future. Dude, <laughs> listen, your place is there, man. Your Thank place you. is there. I, I have a seat. I have a seat for you. And just, you know, the scheduling is out because you're a busy man yourself. Man. I, I'm a little like, busy. Yeah. I can you always make time. I can always make time for a Frank Dunham Jr. production. though. <laughs> <laughs> always right. make time for that. You touched on something a little earlier. You were talking about burlesque. You do a yes. little burlesque. What give us a little something? What is the burlesque thing that you do? Um, there was a um, we were trying to raise money for a really big show we were trying to put together. And um, it kind of fell through. It it fell through. But one of our um one of our like schemes was like, let's do a burlesque show. Like, we don't know anything about burlesque. I'm like, yeah, but I know some burlesque dancers. I got a band. I got a top hat. Let's uh let's do a burlesque show. So I did a little research and uh -huh. I did know a few burlesque dancers and I went to a couple of shows and I'm like, yeah, I can do this. And um it really uh it 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 clicked. It really did. We did um we did Chez Lucien, a venue in Harlem, uh right next door to uh, the Red Rooster. We did a uh, Mist, that was a venue in Harlem on East 116th Street. Mm -hmm. I know it, yeah. We did uh, Green Room 42, where we had residency at the Yota Hotel right in Midtown on 42nd Street. Um, we did a, Beluga, a venue called the Beluga Bar, which is located in Lower Manhattan by the World Trade Center. We um about three years. And what I did is I corralled um, a bunch of very talented um, dancers, whether it was burlesque, belly dancing, um, contortionists, and then the acts. I had uh, little people that would uh, do a routine. I had a strong guy that would like uh, walk through the audience and pick women randomly and just start bench pressing them, you know, <laughs> above his head. <laughs> you know, just kind of like sideshow fun right. uh, with me at the helm of the mic, you know, at playing MC, backup singers, go-go girls. Just the whole busy variety entertainment surround, uh, surrounding burlesque. This sounds good. I like this. Any chance of remounting or you, is that just a past? Uh... If I, you know what, if I had the time to do it properly. And when I say the time, I said, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm pushing Cherry House for the, um, for the next level, you know, for it to go and to be, you know, more wings and just uh, more life to it. But at the same time, again, I have to stay busy and I have to stay relevant and I'm getting ready for 2022 and 2023. That's right. That's right. Um, keep it, always keep it going. Yeah. If, um, if the opportunity has arisen and, and there are a few <clears> venues <throat> that have asked, you know, hey, are you going to, uh, you know, maybe, you know, come and see, do a burlesque night, bring a couple of dancers and do that. I mean, I can ask you the same question too, bro. Because I was, hey, you know, I was gonna say, let me know because yeah. one might night might have to do a joint <laughs> venture on that one. So let me know. Yeah, yeah, definitely <laughs> so, man. Definitely so. I, I will. I will definitely, you know, keep you keep you posted with that. I like that. Mm -hmm. So looking back over what you've done so far, is there anything that you would tell your young self to do? Oh, Marcus, you know, you can't say things like that. Well, what would you tell little Frankie D, <laughs> little Franco to do? 
Um, try your damnedest to get along with everyone mm. and do as you're told. Do as you're told. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Okay. How so? How so? Well, um, you know, rebel without a cause, you know, I believe I was just, um, just, uh, you know, kind of spoiled, self-centered, you know, just, you know, a lot of attention, you know, um, I just, uh, I'm not going to say rebellious, but I mean, just like any other teenager, you know, anyone, you know, growing up, um, you know, you, you, you don't want to listen. You yeah. want to listen. You want everything to, you know, like, I got it. I, I know what I'm doing. And, and it's so funny. The first thing that I think of is my younger self, you know, every year, you know, that I get older, I think of my younger self and I remember someone my age uh, saying something to me about my behavior. And I was just like, oh, please. So yes, if there was anything that I could tell my younger self is do as you're told. Beautiful. I love it. And listen, listen and do as you're told. Listen and okay. do everything you've done. Go ahead and do it. Do it. Don't stop listening, but just listen and do as you're told. Okay. I want to do one more thing with you. And this is the first time we're doing this on the One Mic Night podcast. This yeah. is going to be called Fire. Fire on the mind. So I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. You just give me, you just give me the answers. Okay. Which do you, who do you prefer? Terry McMillan or James Baldwin? James Baldwin. What's your favorite musical? Dreamgirls. Mm. What's your favorite Broadway show in general? The Wiz. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, the last thing you did before this interview. Was play with my hair. <laughs> <laughs> and the last question is Shaka Khan or Stephanie Mills? That's not fair. Yes, yes, yes. That's not fair. Versus was on the last night. That's not fair. Yeah. Choose one. You got to choose one. Stephanie. <laughs> Stephanie. It's Stephanie. 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 Okay. It's Stephanie. The hits are both there. They're both incredible, incredible, beautiful black women, just incredible talents with longevity and no sense of sitting down or going anywhere. It's just, it's a beautiful thing to see them. But to me, they're just so different. Very different. Yeah. They're yeah. very different. That's a hard choice. Yeah. That's different types of singers. Choice different sort of appeal. Like I'll throw on a Stephanie Mills record when I'm feeling like, you know, I feel like this, but the Shaka Khan, you know, that's a different sort that's of feel. That's a whole different vibe. I can say one is like, you know, I appreciate one more than the other. You know, I feel, I could feel like this and I could feel like that. That's right. I love them both. That's a hard, don't do that. Man. Exactly. I had to make you do it. I had to do it. I had to do it. Respect to both Shaka Khan and Stephanie Mills. Well, Frank, I want to thank you for taking the time, joining me on One Mike Night Podcast. Yes, I really, really appreciate it. Tell everybody how we can get in touch with you. And how we can find oh, out more about Cherry House. Out to uh, Creative Stages Entertainment at CSC at our website, www.csenyc.org, or check out our YouTube channel, Creative Stages Entertainment. Uh, there's, uh, you can send us emails, you can uh, like all of our, e our videos, and, uh, and stay tuned for the uh, up and coming productions. I know that's right. 
everybody in the sound of my voice. Make sure you follow Frank Dunham Jr. You can find him like once again at csenyc.org for Creative Stages Entertainment. You can also follow him on Instagram. Make sure you do it at Black Man Did It. B L A C K M A N Did It. <laughs> Find out more about Cherry House, the incredible show, the burlesque, and everything he does. This man is a creative force, and I'm very happy to have him here. Thank you for coming on. Thank you. Everyone, please make sure you follow us on the YouTube page at One Mike Knight to see the video version of this podcast. Also, One Mike Knight podcast is on all digital platforms. One Mike Knight is spelled O-N-E-M-I-C-N-I-T-E. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can go to anchor.fm backslash One Mike Knight. Show us a little love. It's a lot keeping this podcast going and supporting other artists. That's what I do here. You can follow me on all social media at Marcos Luis, M-A-R-C-O-S-L-U-I-S. Go to the .com, find out what's going on. A lot of big things happening on my end as well. I want to thank you all for joining me for the podcast. Please like, share, rate us. We're out. Thank you, Marcos. <laughs>